welcome to Spiritist Conversations, a show where we sit down with friends to talk about the world through a spiritist lens in an informal, unscripted, and unplugged way. I'm your host, Dana Sisi. In this follow-up conversation to episode 4, when we meet our friends at the Toronto Spiritist Society during their 6th anniversary celebration in July of 2016, Marcelo Neto and I talk to our hosts, Sandra and Joe Musi, about Canada's Bill C-14, Medical Assistance in Dying, which went into effect on June 17, 2016. We explore death and dying, free will, and talk about the difference the belief in the spirit may make when framing the issue. This is one of those more serious conversations. Want to join us for future conversations? Ask your questions or leave your comments on our Facebook page. You can also tweet using hashtag sconvos, S-C-O-N-V-O-S, or email us at conversations at spiritism.org. Whatever works best for you. In the meantime, pull up a chair and make yourself comfortable. The conversation is about to start. Welcome to Spiritist Conversations, where we have an unscripted, unplugged, and unplanned conversation about all the different kinds of topics. We are still here in Toronto, Canada where we have had the pleasure of witnessing and being part of the Toronto Spiritist Society's sixth birthday celebration today, which was an uh, incredible opportunity for us to talk about the value of life. And we have here with us our good friends Sandra Musi, Marcelo Neto, and Joe Musi. And I just want to open the floor really quick so we can do a little bit of a summary of what the... Um, event was like today. What was it like for you guys to be part of this incredible celebration today? They're all pointing fingers at each other. <laughs> Nobody wants to go first. That's amazing. You were the master of ceremonies. You got to start. Okay. 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 Oh, okay. I'm so yeah. sorry. <laughs> I thought you were just no, touching there. No. I thought was something. Okay. So it was really incredible to have the three of you here, Daniel, Marcelo, and Andrea, and Joe. There four of you. Angel. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it was really incredible. It was a feast to our souls. I felt that uh, this subject usually... People don't want to talk about it, you know, the, the subject of death. It's something that people, uh, they just want to avoid. They want to talk about life and the good things about life and how to make life better. And talking about death is not something that people really want to talk about it. So I felt that um, this was an, a great event, not only for the, the incarnate spirits that were present, but especially to the discarnate, as um, I, I just, I felt the whole room filled with uh, loved ones, filled with uh, spirits who want to learn more about their, uh, their own journey into the spiritual world, 
and also uh, the incarnated spirits who want to learn more about, uh, uh, you know, abortion, suicide, suffering, and, and especially uh, the topic now for Canadians that is, uh, it really speaks to our hearts. That was Joe's topic. So I thought it was uh, really amazing. Thank you so much for coming, joining us in this great event. We were the one that benefit so much about the, having uh, the opportunity to hear from too many good speakers. And uh, actually, I learned a lot with uh, Jules and Daniel and Andrea talking about the topics that they uh, presented to us. And uh, as Sandra says, uh, the presence of the benevolent spirits and the spirituality was deeply f felt, I think, was not only for me and for her, but I guess like almost everybody felt that was something different there, like a different taste, mm -hmm. something like uh, amazing, amazing. I'm, I'm so grateful for the invitation. I'm so grateful to be part of this. I am so grateful for uh, the friends that you guys are and the work that being, you're being doing in, the, in Toronto, this wonderful city. The event today was a blessing. What else can I say? It was wonderful in every aspect from the energy, from the interest, from the questions we got from the public, from the uh, excellent performance we got from our guest speakers. It was, you know, uh, very gratifying to see it all come together. And we spent a lot of time on the theme because it's, it, it matters. It matters because it coordinates the thought. It brings in um, concerns, questions that folks have. And if we really think about it, spiritism is all about life. It tells us about our existence That's and true. the many lives that we have. And if we don't know how to value life, we're missing the basic point, what spiritism brings to us. And that is a great point that you bring to us, Joe, because, you know, generally, as you guys know, we're very lively here in the program. We, we joke around, we have all kinds of fun. And today, I think the, the, the program have put, us, um, have put us in a reflective mode, so to speak, because um, one of the topics that we had today is very relevant to Canadian society as it is right now, and I think it by consequence to all of us, and that is the question of assistance in dying. Is it okay for us to choose to receive help and end our lives when we no longer want to be alive? And that is such a difficult topic in general because it's very raw. It deals with people's own experiences and their desire to do best for other people and how do we navigate all of this and what does spiritism tell us and and for Canadians recently it's been a very important and very uh, contemporary conversation because they are just um, um, they have just come together to figure out what is it that they want to do and decide how their society should act when it comes together and so we're going to toss it back to Joe, so maybe Joe can kind of tell us a little bit. Joe, can you tell us a little bit about the recent 
um, you know, experiences here in Canada that, that Canadian folks have had with the new legislation that came about. What, what is this all about? The whole idea around dignity in death or death with dignity, assisted death, has been around for a long time. I mean, this is not a, uh, a recent debate. But it picked up quite a bit of speed with uh, a government that was elected to Montreal, Quebec, the province of Quebec, about four years ago. And this particular government wanted to make sure to emphasize separation of state and church. Um, in North America, we're mostly separated, but these political, um, most associated with leftism, wanted to make sure that there was no residue of anything that may be perceived as residuals of a past connection, especially in the province of Quebec, very Catholic in its origins. So there were still some places that they had crosses they, in, in public buildings and so forth. And one of the things that they brought up was assisted suicide or assisted death, euthanasia, all kinds of different names that we've had, even mercy killing. And realizing or at least contemplating that most of the arguments against it fell under the philosophical and religious realm, they felt that it was up to the government to allow and regulate that kind of activity. So there were some initial cases brought to the provincial Supreme Court, and they saw that it was well within the rights of the province to legislate that, because there was kind of an absence of legislation at the federal level. Of course, when you have that kind of debate, very public debate, there were some test cases in British Columbia of this woman who wanted to die. She had a uh, terminal disease. She wasn't immediately in danger, but she wanted to die. She didn't want to suffer anymore. So she had requested the right to be assisted in that act by a doctor of her choice. So the debate continued in British, British Columbia. Eventually, it made its way to the Supreme Court of Canada. And the Supreme Court of Canada said, guys, this is a very serious topic. We do believe that individuals do have some significant rights in deciding how they wish to die, and then the government needs to put a legislation in place. So for the last three years, we've been debating this, and eventually it became what is known as uh, Bill C-41 that was just finalized and approved and got royal consent a month ago, on June 17th. And that's what, you know, even a couple of years ago, we had a guest speaker from Montreal speaking to us about what was happening out there. And now it becomes a national issue because Bill C-41 does allow and legalize the idea of medically assisted um, assistance in dying, which basically means being allowed to provide some drugs, injectable drugs, usually painkillers, to end a person's life. And how does that work? Does that mean that anybody can just knock on the door at the hospital and say, hey, I would like some help in ending my life? They did create a number of basic rules. Uh, you have to be over 18. You have to explicitly, in writing, um, put out your desire to die. There's got to be some sense that you have your suffering significantly, that you have some kind of disease that will eventually lead to your death. 
and that this is your desire. So you just can't end it for any reason. There's got to be a major component to it, like the terminal there, There's got to be some logical reasoning behind it, even though the law, in my opinion, leaves a lot of open loopholes for that. And one of the things that they wanted to make sure is that it was done under medical supervision, under medical criteria, where doctors who felt that the patient was in some ways not really appropriate for, for this type of procedure, because it becomes a procedure, that they can represent their objection. No doctor is ever going to be mandated to do it if it um, goes against their religious or moral beliefs. And that at least two doctors need to certify that the patient fits all of the criteria set by the bill. Now, this is federal. In Canada, there is a, a great separation between the federal and provincial governments. So we will see prov provinces redefining that federal law uh, in more details to finalize some of the process of how that's going to work. So, and this is when we also open the mic to, to our friends who are here with us and ask them, um, clearly this is a difficult topic because people certainly should have a right in deciding how is it that they want to live their lives, or don't they? Is it their lives? Is it not their lives? How, how do we see all of that? How do we make sense of all of this? Of course, we understand that we are uh, talking and debating things here, and we understand and we respect everybody's free will, but it begs the question of how special life is. What is life, and, and what, what, what should we do? How do we, how do we see this? Is this an advancement in society's laws? Is it a step back? How, how do we take this? What do you guys think? There, there's, a, there's a question on the Spirit's book, if I'm not mistaken. It's question 944. And Alain Kardec asked the spirits, do we have the right to get rid of our life? And the answer is straightforward. It's like only God has the right to end our lives. And uh, of course we have free will and we make choices. We make choices every day, every second, every minute. And uh, According to Spiritism, uh, we see that every choice that we make is going to have like consequences. And uh, we also make bad choices. We also think that uh, the process of suffering, the process that involves this kind of suffering, is actually a punishment. It's like a, we think about like our pride or like I want to be like I don't want to be a burden for society. And uh, whatever the case may be, uh, it drives us to uh, to another point. It's the ethical point. So, uh, going back to the Spirit's book, when we put like God ruling our lives in the process of suffering, it constitutes. Of course, we have to have the knowledge of spiritism. For the ones that doesn't have this knowledge, they might have like the, the, the false interpretation. They, of course, and uh, the consequences will vary a lot, of course. And uh, but having knowledge of this very this very specific question, and uh, makes me think like. Oh, well, I don't think it's going to be like a, it's not like a, an advancement of the 
human's law. It's, it's something like it's a retrocess. A retrocess is a word that mm -hmm. actually doesn't exist. I guess I'm just making up the word. <laughs> but it's like, a, a, I don't think it's, it's a good idea. It's a step backwards. It's a, it's step, a step backwards. backwards. That's exactly the word. But I think it's also a step backwards that is necessary for people really put this out of the shadows, you know? Because if you don't see this, who is saying that today? Was it you, Joe? Uh, you know, if you don't see this very clearly, uh, you can't discuss it. So once we have this, to talk about we have to talk yeah. about this. So maybe this is a step back, because I, I, I agree with you, Marcelo. It is a step back, but it's also a step forward. Because now it's going to make people really debate about this, you know, about the moral and ethical uh, uh, implications. implications about ending someone's life. And the great opportunity that is in this lifetime to go through the suffering that we have to go through. I think it was Joe that was mentioning the... Uh, the last minute that some, some people that are you know, about to die, that they have this uh, very clear mind, a state of grace when they, can, they are able to, to atone for the things they've done, they're able to talk to their loving you know, uh, their families and, and really to have a whole, uh, the whole picture, not like that one picture, but the whole movie of their life when they were, uh, when they were here, and they can really reflect in what they, they accomplished when they were here. And this is very, very important for the spirit because once they pass, the spirit now has this very clear to them and they don't, they, they don't get that confusion state that they, uh, you know, it's gonna be easier for them once they, they are into the spiritual world. And this is, again, going back to what you said today, Danielle, uh, if we read the heaven and hell in all those, uh, uh, communication from the spirits when they bring this to us, you know, the testimonial of the spirits. Some of them they comment about this confusion, you know, when you when you pass. So mm -hmm. it makes it easier for them to, to go. And that's such a difficult argument, right? Because for those of us who believe in life after life and believe in the existence of the spirit and that the fact that it lives on then it makes sense, right? Because mm -hmm. then it's not the end, really. It's just the end of a physical life, but yeah. you're still carrying on with you all the trials and all the challenges that you have. And clearly in Spiritism, we think that a lot of these challenges we face today are the consequence of something else that happened before, right? At first, this might seem like a, um, a really harsh thing, right? But we kind of look at it as a cause and consequence thing, like every act has a consequence. And if we are not prepared to deal with those consequences in this lifetime, we may have to deal with it in the next, another one. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we also have to acknowledge there are a lot of folks who don't believe in any of this. Mm -hmm. And so we have to weigh all these in. So it looks like for us might be a step forward, a step backwards for them might be a step forward. So how do we navigate all of this? What do we do, right, to, to have people talk more about this? And what, what's missing for people to to perhaps uh, find a, a new way forward. The awareness of the immortal soul, 
You know, we are immortal beings. And if you think that this is it, then it's, it's harder, uh, it's easier to move forward. You know, I'm, I'm gonna see this as a, a step forward. If I believe that I have an immortal soul, and this is just one blink of an eye of my, my spirit here, I'm gonna make the best of it. And I think one thing as a spiritist that we can all learn from that is, it's the virtue of resignation. If you go through a suffering, if you can really uh, uh, work on, on resigning in a way, your suffering and resigning it, it's, it's, this is what I think it, you get the most of that experience. And, and I can see that not only from spiritists, but I saw this in some friends of mine, you know, a British, very close friend of mine, a British woman, she was a Canadian too, and she lived here for many, many years, and she had this, uh, she died of cancer, and in her last month, she, has, she had this virtual, really beautiful soul, you know, and she knew she was dying. She, she knew it, and she had to really resign for the fact that this is, this is a part. And I, I brought her the spirit's view of death and everything, and it, it, it gave her this, you know, like this new breath that I think she was looking for. for. So I think, I don't know, maybe we think that we know better, but I think uh, if more people would, would acknowledge that we are not only uh, having this, uh, we are here to have this life, but we just, uh, you know, a spirit having a, uh, um, incarnated, uh, how do you say, how do you say, uh, yeah, uh, just an experience here in this life, then it's, it would be easier. You, you mentioned something in your lecture today that we never, uh, we are in a moment of our society that we have reached to a point that we have so much comfort. We have water, uh, we have like, just like to turn the faucet, we have like all the, everything it's like ready for us. The technology, we went to the moon, we went to we, we went to the intimate intimacy of matter. We see things that we never had the chance like a hundred years ago. Uh, you mentioned like the the the, the founding fathers of uh, Canada and stuff like that. And uh, more and more suicidals, euthanasia, and people are more and more hopeless. How come this contrast is taking place? So it's. Uh, we have to educate ourselves. Sandra brought us like something really interesting that of course I see, I have friends, they're very materialistic people. They're, their drive, their minds driven completely towards materialistic point of view. And they're so empty, they're fantastic people. But they like, I wish I have the faith, the belief that you have because, and they are very rich, they're very wealthy, they are people like with everything, everything that everything, everybody dream, dreams. But they are like, I miss something and I cannot measure what is this that I miss so much. And sometimes I feel like getting rid of my life. 
How come? And when I start like talking to them, like, well, I wish to have this faith. Maybe I, I, I really want to believe in this. I really want to believe that if I believe, if I only believe in this for a few minutes, it will change completely the perspective of my life. And uh, I hope one day I can start thinking about you. So I see how people like this, maybe society, the, the, the ones that are formi formulating the laws, invite other branches of society to put this aspect to decide. I don't know, maybe Joe can say something about it. I don't know how this bill, this law passed, what sectors of society was invited to uh, talk about it because it's an ethical problem and, and of course involves like ethical aspects of society. What do you think about this? It does. It is an ethical or moral dilemma. But the reality is it's been happening all the time. And right? by that you mean like the it entire history that, of humanity? Well, and, and even more recently, as people get near the end of death, and they're usually in a lot of pain, they come under very strong um, dosages of painkillers, for example. And it's very easy to increase that dosage just a bit to kill it the person. And that happens all of the time. But exposing the doctors to possible lawsuits, liabilities, loss of their license, and so forth. So the medical professionals wanted at least to have the guidelines. So they're not trying to guess or try to hide this in such a way. The center said to get out of the, the darkness. This topic is similar and very different than the abortion debate that's been going on along. Abortion is an active killing of an individual. There's nothing wrong with that individual. It's a perfectly fine individual in most cases, a baby or a fetus, and the mother decides to abort. Right? So it's a lot easier to question the morality of that act than to question someone who has had a long life, that has been healthy most of that life, and now suddenly it's under tremendous pain. Doctors say that it's a question of days or weeks before that person expires, to feel compassion and want to help them. So in some ways, the eutanasia has an underlying compassionate reason, whereas abortion is a purely selfish or fear reason that drives that. So I see that for the foreseeable future, because this was fairly easy to get past, it's not as controversial. And we will see, especially in a secular state, individuals who do not have any belief in afterlife or spirituality, that they will use this mechanism to terminate their life when they so choose. And, and there's not much we can do about that. What we can yeah. do is a couple of things. Number one, protect the vulnerables. Because there are people, especially the depressed, the mentally ill, who for less, let's call it lesser reasons, have lost the desire to live. It's not that they're dying, just don't want to live. And those are 
typical candidates for suicide, but there's a, quite a few of them that do not want to commit suicide because they might have a little bit of that religious resistance or religious fear of committing suicide, but they deeply want to die. And that's a great distinction you make, right? Because I can see that being different cases. One, for instance, is somebody who has a terminal illness and know they're going to die and they are either in pain or there's something else. Another one is somebody who chooses to and is not facing those things. Are they different? Seems like they are, right? Mm -hmm. but sorry, but go ahead. And, you know, there's also the case of the disabled, the heavily disabled. Luckily for now, the law requires that the individual that wishes to die or wants to go through this procedure must sign the authorization. And a lot of the heavily disabled young adults would not have that ability. And in the future, this might change and allow their legal guardian to sign it on their behalf. But right now, it has to be the individual. The law is being tested, actually. Mm -hmm. So they, they put forth that the principle is that under normal circumstances, someone who's suffering and who's dying should be assisted by a medical professional, doctor or nurse, to complete that task so they don't do it themselves. It in no way allows euthanasia by non-medical persons. So a husband and wife cannot agree to, you know, kill me if I'm hurting a lot and, and allow the husband to do the procedure. It has to be under medical guidelines uh, with more than one doctor. So there's like all kinds of rules. It creates a little bit of bureaucracy exactly as a protection mechanism, trying to weed out those cases of mentally ill folks who see this as a quick exit from a life they do not like. Or also somebody who decides to use the law as an excuse to literally kill somebody else, yes. <laughs> right? Um, like a yeah. wife or a husband that might just want to get rid of their loved ones and say, I've got consent from them. No, Not very it, loved it, ones, yeah, but I'm Yeah, you yes. jerk this Good point. point. <laughs> but Good point. there have been a lot of cases documented <laughs> where wealthy people were in coma or terminally ill, and their relatives who were going to be inheriting their money would try to time their death either before or after the beginning of a new fiscal year because the laws on the taxation is going to change. They either going to pay more tax or less tax, depending whether they die December 31st or oh January 1st. <laughs> Even that. Things Even you that, learn. Things you learn. Right? Yeah. So in some cases, they were asking doctors to unreasonably extend the life through machines so they would fall in a new fiscal year. Oh my God. So then the law is going to, if the taxes are going down, or they would find ways to suddenly, well, my daddy just died December 31st at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> uh, and just, you know, just before the, there was an increase in the taxation. Taxes. So, yes, you're right. The, the selfish, non-compassionate purposes will always bleed in if we let them. And the truth is, we were talking about this earlier, I think, too. We cannot pass laws that will dictate how people feel, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, you know, whatever law there is, people will find ways around this. And so we know um, out of practical learning and also because we just try to understand people that a lot of these things, a lot of these feelings are, are things that people need to deal with themselves, right? Um, and so just because you have a law that gives you the option to doesn't mean you necessarily have to. 
it's there's still a choice of whether you want to trigger using that law mm -hmm. or not, right? And obviously, it's a very difficult situation because you may have a loved one who you know is going towards the end of their lives, but they're suffering. And so what we do, what can we do? What, what should we be thinking about? Because if somebody came to you at that point in time, I'm sure they're going to be pretty desperate. They're going to be seeing somebody that they care for. They are going to be seeing a loved one uh, withering away in pain, and they might be for a moment tempted to um, just end their lives. Why should they not do that from a spiritual perspective? Well, we have a couple of things going for us. One is our natural instinct to not die. We have a self-preservation instinct that's very strong, which usually keeps most people from doing stupid things that could kill themselves. Usually. Usually. <laughs> so that, that feeling's inside us, not to die. Especially if we've had good lives, we want to extend. If we have grandchildren, we have children, and then we know that there's new things happening in their lives and so forth. What's working against this is fear. Fear of pain, fear of humiliation, fear of losing complete control over your life, losing your memory, losing your biological controls. People are so proud that they fear that, and they fear that, wow, what will my children and grandchildren think of me if I am totally mentally forgetful and I'm peeing in my pants? I don't want that. I don't want them to remember me this way. Or I don't want to give them any extra work. Now, yes. what we can do is, little by little, remove the fear. To at least delay that decision as much as possible. So, science helps by new treatment plans that allow patients to feel more comfortable, to have some level of quality of life for longer and longer and longer, getting closer and closer to the moment of death. So that's very positive. And I think one of the things in the law is that doctors do have the right, actually the obligation, to educate their patients who want to die and all of the various treatment plans that they have and what it will mean for them and for the, their family to go into these treatment plans. So the more medicine and science evolves, the more we'll be able to address those fears and allow that instinct to take over and says, yes, maybe if I want to have a not so bad life, maybe I can see my grandchild get a diploma in high school. Maybe I will see my, uh, you know, have a great grandson, a great granddaughter being born. So there's always things that we look forward to. We just don't want to be some kind of, of vegetable lying around and doing nothing. And we only think that because we don't believe in the soul. And that's a key point, ultimately. Yes. Mm -hmm. This might be the deciding factor, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you put yourselves in somebody else's shoes and they don't believe in life after life and existence of a soul, then the choice to end one's life makes sense. The problem is when we're missing that information, and I think most of us nowadays in society might be, right? Or if we have that idea, we just don't think about it often enough. We don't exercise, so to say, our spiritual muscles. How often do any of you guys stop to think about, um, you know, dying? 
I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't necessarily raised thinking about the day I will die. And I think mm -hmm. that young folks never do, right? Death becomes mainly a concern for those who are approaching death. And then we just don't know how to, how to handle that. And so I think what's really great is talking about it and trying to understand that. And in Spiritism specifically, I think we're kind of uniquely equipped to talk a little bit about this because what we do, and it's central to Spiritism, is mediumship. And mediumship allows us to do what? Allows us to get some information and contact those who technically, what we would call, died, right? And they tell us different things. And I think Sandra was mentioning earlier, uh, The Heaven and Hell, which is a book by Alain Kardec, which is a great book because he has two parts, right? The first part is the theoretical piece, kind of a recap of all the books he's written before. And the second one, it's really great testimonials from spirits telling us, hey, this is what my life looked like when I was here on Earth, and this is how I find myself now. And they tell us that they're both happy or unhappy, depending on what is it that they've done on <coughs> Earth and how they see themselves, right? So if the key part, it seems like we are probably agreeing that the key part to this discussion is whether we believe in something greater or not, then what do we do with it? How do we get society to be more aware of the spirit? Should we? Should we let things ride? I don't know. I'm just really asking. You being reflective there, Marcelo, what are you thinking? No, I think it's, it's, it's a process. It's a process. We're not going to be outside preaching and trying to convince everybody that the spirit is a reality. And, uh, but it's a process. Uh, we see, like in our spiritist centers, uh, we see people that come. Sometimes they're very materialistic people. They're like empty. They have their hearts willing to believe in something, they end up staying at the Spiritus Center and they become like uh, active workers. And we, really quickly, if I make a pause here, um, if you're listening to us, you might have heard us say materialist. And by that, we don't mean somebody who is selfish and is just right. concerned about money. We're really using it in the purest sense of the word, which is you just believe in the material, right? Good There's point. only life in the physical world. So we want to make sure we clear that up so that Good we don't have point. any understanding. Good point. We, we have an example in our house. His, this man is a wonderful man. He was like very, was, uh, he's a physicist. He says like, well, I don't believe in anything that you guys believe, and, but I respect so much. This was like a few years ago. And today he participates in something that we call mediumistic meetings. <laughs> He's one of the counselors. He was one of the, the one that provides and speaks to the spirits. And uh, if you talk to him today, and if you went back in time and reminds, remember when he first crossed the door and talking to, to one of us, you will see someone from was 180 degrees difference. It was a, a fantastic transformation because he, in the beginning, says, like, well, I felt like an emptiness. And I, I wanted to believe, but I don't believe. But now it makes a lot of more sense to me. I like to believe, and I agree because it's logical. It's fantastic. It makes sense to me. By the way, he's from Manchester. He's from, uh, from England. Is a wonderful person, a loving soul, an extremely, extremely logic and intelligent man. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also it's a process, but it's an it's individual process. process. It's an individual so process. So each person has to go through 
their own process to be able to say, okay, I need more, where do I find it? So having the Spirit Center, having the books, you know, available to people, it's a great thing. Having this talks that you're doing, Danielle. We are doing, what is this we new are doing. thing? <laughs> we are doing, this is great because this makes people curious, you know, and if they are ready to that point of being able to have that curiosity to learn more, to, you know, maybe this is just something that they will get uh, to, uh, to learn and to really change uh, and being fed by the information, they will transform. But this man, the fact that he went, Marcelo, to your group, he was already in a point that he was already in the curve of changing, of looking for something new. Otherwise, he wouldn't be going to, to a spirit center, not even to learn, because if he's that logic and if he's that materialistic in the sense of, uh, I don't believe in any of that stuff, he wouldn't be able to put himself in that position to learn more. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a process, but it's also an individual process that needs to be respected and needs to be, uh, you know... Um, That's a tough part, right? Because you have to be okay respecting somebody else's choices of course. with which you may not agree. Exactly. And when you love that person, I think we all have that before, right? When we give advice to somebody we really care about and they're about to do something that might not be great mm -hmm. and they do it anyways and it breaks your heart, but at the end of the day, it's their life and they, they're going to do what they're going to do, right? I think we have to look at, at a positive side of this debate. Um, I saw a statistic, and I don't remember the exact number, but what's close to... Question is, where do people go to die? 80% of us will likely die in an ICU, in a <laughs> hospital. That's where people mm -hmm. die today. Yeah. And there is very few places that are less cold or simply um, empty of any warmness. Right? It's sterile. You're connected to tubes, and that's going to be your last vision of this life, is that room with all the equipment, people you don't know, and that's not a good death. Do, do you think, Joe, do you think that happens because we are in denial about death, and that we are not prepared for it, and so we fight it, fight it, fight it, Great all part, the yes. way to the point where we know we're already going to die, instead of preparing ourselves, we are just going to do anything you takes for us to, to live on. Unfortunately, there's all, that is true, right? So we demand of our doctors eternal life. That's so true. Uh -huh. We Sometimes, want yeah. the doctors to save our beloved and do anything that is possible. Please save him or her, uh -huh. right? So we demand that. Unfortunately, there is a even more sinister side to this. The last six months of our lives will cost the health system more than the rest of your life. So more than 50% of what you ever cost to healthcare will happen in the six, last six months of your life. So it's very profitable to keep somebody alive in an ICU. It's the most expensive place in the hospital, and especially in the US where it's a lot of it's privately paid. Uh, we, I saw a number of, of 
uh, investigative reports where doctors in the ICU were prohibited from talking about more humane ways of dying at home uh-huh. because it would be less revenue for the hospital. So the good side about this debate is what kind of death we want to have. Let's not put into this scenario if it's going to be an accelerated death or not. But wouldn't it be much nicer that if you're terminally ill, that you can die at your, in your home with your family, surrounded by people who love you and are taking care of you? That's the principle of palliative care. So if there's something we can do is to promote, study, and find better ways to give that option to a greater number of people. And I think a lot of us would prefer that. I think so too. I think so too. I think that we just haven't done that. We just haven't done the thinking around it, right? We are, society also, well, I don't want to blame society, right? I want to be very clear that it's up to us to digest the information, whichever society way we want to. of individuals. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we've been uh, spoon-fed, so to say, this image of like never dying and the good guy and it's always good looking and young and you know, we live happy ever after, and sometimes it shortchanges us because life is not always like that, right? We go through difficult moments and so forth. But have we really prepared ourselves to pass away, right? And dying might be a strong word for us because we believe in that, that we're just a physical body, and I mean, that we're not just a physical body and that we're spirit, and if we're gonna transition out into the physical body for which we're thankful because it gives us this experience, but do we prepare ourselves? Can we, what could we do to be more at ease with the one thing we know is going to happen to all of us, which is dying? Read, educate. Try to find out what comes after. I think it's in a transformation. I think it's not to be attached to things, to people the way we are, because everything, we are so selfish in a sense that You know, like you say, my husband, you say, my child, you say, my house. You know, if we do not have that uh, attachment to things and to, not that is wrong, you know, I'm not saying here that it's wrong to have attachment. It's beautiful. It's It's a way of expressing the love and the care for somebody that really matters to you. I'm not saying that, but it, it, it it's to a point that you are now uh, you're nothing without these people in your lives, or you're nothing if you don't have a job, because it's your job who defines you. It's your house who defines you. It's the car you drive that defines you. And, and it's not that, that, you know? What defines you is what you are, uh, you know, um, making your life and how you are morally progressing. How do you want to, you know, what do you want to take this? So I, I usually, I think, if I die today, if I die today, how, what, are, what are going to be my accomplishments? So this, you know, is my, often, this is my exercise. You know, I often do that too. I do the same thing. Sometimes yeah. every, I don't do it that often, but every once in a while I stop and I so ask. So I think this is my, my biggest exercise, yeah. you know. It's, what is it that I'm going to miss the most? Or what is it that I'm bringing with me? You know, what did I accomplish here? Was I less selfish? Yeah, and I often I'm think... I'm less proud. And you know? I often so think, is, if I die today, what would I regret not yeah. doing? 
What yeah. is it that I haven't done that I want to do? And this is what they say, yeah, that usually people, uh, when they are about to die, they think of all the things that they regret not doing. So this is, uh, so that's why I say I love you, Daniel. I love you too, Sandra. You see? So we have bucket lists. have to say, yeah. I know Givaldo tells this funny story, and of course he tells it much better than I can, but he said it, tells a story that he had finished a lecture in, in one of the Brazilian cities, and right after, here comes this, this lady, and she was crying, crying, crying. She was just completely lost, lost, losing it. And she says, Givaldo, and he said, what is it, my, my dear? I have lost my son. And Givaldo, oh my God, let's do a search party. Let's look for your son. <laughs> she says, no, 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 Givaldo, I didn't lose my son. He died. And he says, if he's died, there's nothing else we can do. Why are you wasting my time? He's dead. He wasn't your son. He was a, his own spirit, and now he's in a better place. Why are you crying? Right? Because I miss them so much. He says, of course we miss them, but think that we are immortal spirits, and, and life goes on for us. Life goes on. It does, it does. So this conversation around death and dying is a tough one. Mm -hmm. because we don't do it enough. And it might sound somber and dark at first, but, you know, that's what Benjamin Franklin says, right? Nothing in life is certain but death and taxes. That's so true. Hopefully we're all paying our taxes, which means there's only one thing left. <laughs> um, and so preparing yourselves to that. So to wrap it up, as we approach the end of our conversation here, I would love to ask you guys, each one of you, to just spend a minute or two saying and giving us tips on what is it that we could do to improve our spiritual quotient for, 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 that, for that matter. What is it that we could do to think more of ourselves as spiritual beings so that the act of physical death is less scary? I think it's, I go back to the word resignation, you know? If I, um, if whatever I'm going through, any struggle, it can be a small struggle, you know, sometimes we, we really struggle over like little things, and you have to bring it to perspective. What am I struggling about this? This is so little. So bringing things to its real perspective, reality of things, why, uh, you know, this is just a material thing, or is this something that is going to, if I die today, I'm going to regret not doing, you know? So it's bringing that and bringing the word resignation into sense that really is going to help me see what are my virtues or anything that I, I'm accomplishing or I'm strengthening, or, uh, or am I still vices that I'm still struggling that is keeping me from moving forward? So it's working on my, uh, you know, accomplishing, uh, recognizing my virtues because sometimes we as spiritists, we, we don't want to, you know, oh, it's not good to be thinking about my virtues, I have to think about my vices. No, I have to acknowledge my virtues, you know, because this is, this took me a lot of work to be where I am. So it's nice to acknowledge that today I'm a better person than I, than I was yesterday. And I still have those vices that I still have to, pride, selfishness, and, and all those vices that I have to really work on. Welcome on to the club. Join the club, yeah. Join the club, sister. <laughs> 
That's true. No, I, I like it very much what Sandra says. And uh, she, you're actually through. That's true. Sometimes we struggle over little things in life. And I, what I do, what I try to do is I always try to get like examples of people that has less, has much less than me. They suffer much more than me. And they simply face that kind of struggles and difficulties and obstacles that they have to overcome with such a smiley in their face, but not a fake one. And we have many examples in literatures and go to, over the internet. We see people with no arms, no legs, no eyes, blind, this and that. And they simply become examples for society. And we see that is actually true. And I see, well, we are all sons and daughters of God. And uh, if this guy or that woman has this possibility, I can do too. And I try to copy, and I sometimes, oh my God, I'm not there yet, but I will be. Mm -hmm. And I see like, okay, one step at a time. Tomorrow will be better. Let's calm down, Marcelo, and let's <laughs> see. Next step, one at a time. And this brings me hope. I think we all have to have a meaning in life. Men searching for meaning. Men and women searching for meaning, but not like simple meanings, meanings that make us feel really, really divine creatures. I know it sounds very, very philosophical and uh, it seems like, oh, I don't feel this way, Marcelo. Fulfillment, right? We feel fulfilled. Fulfilled, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. Simple things in life were things that actually brought me, bring me the most joy in my life. Simple things. And I'm trying to pay attention more and more to this. And it's working. The glass is half full. <laughs> Joe, how about you? I think that the way for us to deal with death is by valuing life. That was the theme of the symposium today, the value of life. If we understand, if we know the value that each minute of our life brings to our immortal spirit, we will want to use every one, every single minute that God has wished upon us for this life. We will not want to shorten it, not a bit. And to each other as well, right? Because sometimes we forget that our life brings joy to those around us. That's the and value. sometimes we just get st stuck in our own pity party or our own suffering and we forget that there is a lot of good that comes from us just being there. Sometimes we aren't told, but it's there. Uh, but anyway, so this is a great conversation that is probably one that we should all have in an ongoing fashion. Keep thinking about it. Develop your own tactics and strategies to reflecting about your spiritual self so that you can really get in touch with your conscience and be okay with who you are and what you've done and if you feel like you haven't done enough yet or of that which you ought to do then 
get on it, right? Movies can wait. Netflix is always going to be there later for you, right? <laughs> get out there and do something that fulfills you because at the end of the day, we all want to feel connected and, and special because we are. We are special. Mm -hmm. And so we invite you to keep the conversation alive. Reach out to each other. Reach out to us. And I think one suggestion we can do to close our conversation today as well is watch our, our conversations today at the 6th anniversary of the Toronto Spiritist Society, I believe, and I'm going out on the limb here, so I'm going to smart, ask the smarter people. <laughs> the talks today, are they going to be somewhere that folks can access? Facebook, oh, yeah. our Facebook page. Our Facebook page. And what is your Facebook page? Do you remember? Search for Toronto Spirit Society on yes, Facebook. Yes, yes. TorontoSpiritSociety.org. You can go to the, to the site that mm -hmm. on our website. There's a link. You just link on Facebook, and you're there. On our website, we also have videos and everything, so it's there. Great, and you can also follow them on Twitter at Toronto Spirit and get news. I think that they automatically post their Facebook news there on Twitter mm -hmm. as well. Um, and we want to thank you guys here at Toronto Spiritist Society for hosting us and for engaging in this very courageous conversations, <laughs> which are very important to all of us, right? It is. Um, to have these conversations and really look under the hood and find out what it, what it takes, uh, what makes us tick, and embrace that by just talking about it with somebody that you care, ponder, reflect, pray over it, find yourself a safe space to think about how beautiful your life is and what is it that you can do. And we hope to meet you again for another Spiritist Conversation. So thank you, Marcelo. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Sandra. And thank you to our friend Andrea as well, who's not here with us today and this episode, but has been with us throughout the whole uh, weekend as well. We hope to see you soon. Goodbye. Thank Bye. You. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. There you have it. We learned about Canada's BOC-14, legislation on medical assistance in dying in Canada, and talked about the importance of understanding dying from a spiritual perspective as well. We hope you have enjoyed the Spiritist Conversation. If you did, please tell one friend about our show. Your host today was Dennis Sisi and our guests were Sandra and Joe Mosi from Toronto, Canada, and Marcelo Neto from Florida. Want to join the conversation or simply let us know where are you listening from? Tweet using the hashtag SConvos, email us at conversations at spiritism.org or simply visit our Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. The opening song you heard on the show was Take 5, played by the David Brubeck Quartet, recorded in Toronto, Canada. Audio engineering by Dennis Sisi. No one was paid to take part in this broadcast. <laughs> <laughs>